0: In. But what uh, what do you do with a naysayer, somebody who doubts, somebody who who doesn't believe the very facts that you're presenting to them? In our um, we're jumping back in our in in the book of Luke. We're going through the book of Luke, and we jumped ahead to get to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Now we're going back to where we left off, and we're in chapter eleven. And as we were in our last lesson of chapter 11, there was um, a scene where Jesus healed a man of a mute spirit, or a spirit that held a, a man mute. He healed him, and then the crowds didn't believe that he was who he says he is, and they attributed his healing power to Satan. So, and, and it's and it's one thing if you're kind of trying to be neutral and and, and what have you, but they called him, essentially, he, that, that he was healing by Satan. So they're attributing his healing powers to Satan. So these are these naysayers. Now, in the midst of that, some of these people marveled because this man was healed. But in the midst of that, some also said, we want a sign. In uh, verse 16 in, in uh, chapter 11, it said, while others to test him kept seeking a sign, seeking from him a sign from heaven. So, they weren't satisfied with the Son of God standing before them, but they wanted him to provide some sort of miraculous sign, some wonder, to prove to them that he was really from God. But how many people do this today? How many people are seeking some miraculous sign today instead of trusting in what the Lord has already revealed himself to be? Do people look for a miraculous sign to believe that God is real, rather than believe in his word that he has revealed to us and the historical facts about his death, burial, and resurrection. This lesson is, is a hard lesson. It says uh, he's, he's really giving us, or it's to them, but then initi- it's initially to them, but then it comes to us as a sign. He's going to give the people a sign, these people with hard hearts, He's going to give them a sign of his uh, death, his burial, his resurrection. And then he promises judgment for their unbelief. So that's this is the pleasant gospel lesson that we have to look forward to. So first we're going to see the sign of Jesus, the sign that Jesus gives. Verse 29 says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Well, Jesus is not mincing words. He, he says this generation is an evil generation. And why is it evil? Well, because it had a hard heart, because it's not receiving him. The, the Son of God, the God in flesh, comes to dwell among them. He does miraculous things, and they reject him. And so he is saying, this generation is evil. And and not only do they reject him, they continue to like test and taunt him to say, well, we need more of a sign. We want something else. But he's saying, essentially, how many signs would be enough? This is not like this was the first miraculous sign that he ever did. And this is not the first miraculous sign. Uh, thing that they 'd heard about him doing, so he 's saying how many signs would be enough, and so he, he's he 's kind of at a wits end here, and he 's saying you know no no more it 's a bit like that it, later he he tells a a uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. the rich man is in hades he 's in hell, he is in great anguish, great discomfort, and so he tells Abraham if he would just send Lazarus back to my people. First, they asked him to get him some water. If he could just drop a dip of water, a drip of water on my tongue. This, this guy is in bad way, and he's looking for some relief. And he's like, yeah, we can't do that. He said, well, if you could just send Lazarus back to my people and let them know what's going on. And Abraham responds and says, but your people have Abraham. Uh, they they have, have Moses and the prophets. If they didn't believe them, they wouldn't believe somebody if he rose from the grave. Interesting story Jesus tells, and 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 the and, the, and the, the point is there are not enough signs to convince these people. Their heart hearts are hard, and so he calls them evil because of their unbelief. And Jesus says that as Jonah was assigned to Nineveh, that the Son of Man will also be to this generation. Now Jonah was, you'll remember, was called by God to go to Nineveh. To preach the gospel. Because the, the, the Lord is going to bring judgment on this humongous city. And so he calls Jonah to go to that city and preach. But you, you know the story. And, and there's, there's a bit where Jonah knows the goodness of God. And he knows the mercy of God. And he really doesn't want this gigantic town of Nineveh full of Gentiles to receive that mercy. There is also got to be fear in Jonah going, and so he decides not to go. He's going to run, and he's going to run away from the Lord. Which, of course, you know that story, and you know that the, even the thought of trying to run away from the Lord is ridiculous. Well, we, we'll and we, we can talk more about how we do that very thing um, when we get into uh, Jonah and study it. But uh, he hops on a he hops on a boat and heads for Tarshish, and you know the story. The 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 storm starts to wail and and uh, the waves are growing, and he, the men end up throwing him overboard. So he's, he's cast out to death, and then this miraculous fish swallows him up. And so he spends this time in the belly of the fish. But in the midst of that fish, in the belly of the fish, in the belly of Sheol, he says, he cried out to the Lord, and he begged for mercy. It says that he was cast down to the deep, and the waters surrounded him, and then the, the weeds were surrounding his head. And like a crown of thorns. Interesting, interesting comparison in the things that he says that he goes through, this Jonah. It's as if he's a pointer to Christ, that the things that he's going through, Jesus will go through later. And then he praises the Lord for bringing his life up from the pit, that resurrection that he received. As he prayed, his prayer entered the holy temple of the Lord, and the Lord heard his plea, and he answered him. And then Jonah recognizes those who hold to idols forsake that steadfast love of the Lord. So these are the choices that Jonah recognizes. This this is powerful with these people who Jesus is talking to about this sign of Jonah. If you want to hold to your idols, you forsake the steadfast love of the Lord. And then finally, Jonah recognizes that the salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, Jesus, like Jonah, he preached repentance and faith, but there's more to this sign of Jonah. Jonah did experience this death, burial, and resurrection through his trials with the fish. He prefigures Jesus's own death, burial, and resurrection. In Matthew's version, I mean, and it's a, it, it's not like we have to figure these things out. Matthew's version in Matthew twelve forty says, "For just as Jonah was in." was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So there's there's this uh, pointer to Jesus. So this sign that Jesus is giving is the gospel, that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. He overcame death by the resurrection. So if, if we witness... Miraculous signs and wonders, will they automatically lead one to faith? They didn't in Jesus' day, with Jesus being the one who performed the miraculous signs. They didn't then, they won't now. This thing of faith in Christ is more than merely convincing the intellect. This is a volitional act of the will. The sign that Jesus gives the people then and the people today is himself. And their unbelief and our unbelief will be judged. So we see the judgment of unbelief. Verse 31, Does the queen of the south rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Well, this is referencing Queen of Sheba. The story of, Queen of the Queen of Sheba it can be found in 1 Kings 10, 2 Chronicles 9. She had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And this is while she was in her own land, and travel time would have been months away from him, like in the far end of the earth to, from, from him it is where she lived. She had heard in her own land about Solomon's wisdom and the greatness of the Lord. Well, she heard and she wanted to see for herself if these reports were true. And so she traveled and traveled and traveled. And then she actually got to visit with Solomon and she recognized what these reports were, were actually accurate, that Solomon was full of wisdom. And so then she praised the God of Israel for the wisdom that Solomon had for who he is, for who God is. But Solomon's wisdom was a derived wisdom. It wasn't an original wisdom. He asked the Lord to bless him with wisdom, and he did. But the Lord had to give this wisdom. But here, Jesus is the wisdom that the writer of Proverbs speaks of. When he talks about wisdom, he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is wisdom. So, He is able to say something greater than Solomon is here. In in your midst, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen heard, and then she traveled that dangerous journey to confirm what she heard, and then she came to belief. But now wisdom is standing in front of these people, and they reject him. How great should their judgment be? So verse 32 then says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, the men of Israel received this type of Christ, this Jonah. And as he preached, they repented and believed. They believed that judgment was coming. They believed his words. They believed that there is this God that Jonah speaks of, and he's going to bring uh, devastation on their city and wipe out the people because of their evil sin that they had among them. And so, G- so Jonah preaches and they repent and believe. And, and this, th- that's a miraculous, great, huge story. And what Jesus is saying is they received him and repented and believed. Now, there's one that's greater than Jonah who is here in, in, in the right now. He's not coming. He's here. He's standing in front of you. So what will you do? As you reject this one, the men of Nineveh will rise up against you in the judgment to condemn you because of your unbelief. But what about people today who hear his word and reject him or would rather look for a sign than cling to who he is as he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures? There is a weightiness here that we really can't afford to miss. This, And this is, again, this is a piece where... We've been in the Gospel of Luke for a year now, and, and there are all kinds of people who want to talk about doing the red letters, you know, if you, are you a red letter Christian? And it's as if, if you were just reading red letters, then you're, you would just be a nice person, and there would be no harm, and you'd be seeking peace. This is a hard lesson, and there are a lot of red letters in this, if you have one of those Bibles. Uh, my, this one's all black, because it's all God's Word, and I think that's fine. Uh, it it helps us from distinguishing between the red and the black but how weighty this is to say you will be judged because there's a great there's a greater revelation that these people are receiving and if you don't receive him then you will be judged harshly greater than what queen of sheba had greater than the men of Nineveh had what about us and now i think it i think this is where the weightiness comes in because we have the testimony of the New Testament writers. We have explicit accounts of Jesus's birth, his ministry, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The apostles who scattered at the crucifixion—they went to their death proclaiming this gospel. They—they, they, you know, part of this is the Holy Spirit given to them at Pentecost. Part of the part of them is part of this is the uh visiting with the risen christ after the resurrection they're able to put the pieces together and as as we go along and we see that they're kind of like bumbling fools and which is good for us we're like well okay i see a lot of me in these people no no wonder but then somewhere they become very bold we we just read an account of peter being bold before the authorities they believed those very things that they preached and wrote about, so much so that they would give their lives for it. We have 2,000 years of church history where each generation is passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. This faith once handed down to the saints. We also have the Holy Spirit's work in preserving and guiding the church today. So our responsibility is great to be open to the truth, to believe in the message of the gospel, To trust that Jesus is the Christ, and then zealously follow him and share the good news. For we have received the great light of the gospel. So the light of the gospel we're going to look at in verse 33. Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it into a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Well, the light has come into the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it the light has come in jesus's preaching this gospel message in his words it must take a prominent place and not be hidden the light of jesus is to be a light to the whole house so that all can be uh, it can light the path for all who enter we can't squander his good news so then in verse 34, he, he moves into a different direction. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is, is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So he moves from the light being that lamp of the gospel to how do we receive his message. And in this case, he's using the way we, we receive his message through a metaphor as the eye. And if your eye is uncomplicated or unobstructed by sin the light of the gospel is able to penetrate your body. And you will comprehend with your mind, practice with your actions, and as our wills are conformed to his and our loves are shaped by what he loves, we will grow in his likeness because of this light he brings and we receive through our eyes. But he says if our eyes are bad, if they're blocked by sin, then our hearts and our minds and our wills will not be conformed. They will not be renewed. They will not be restored. And there's that point that Jonah made that if we're clinging to the idols, then we will reject the steadfast love of the Lord. In verse thirty-five, and this is where, if it hadn't been hard enough yet, this is where it really gets hard. Verse thirty-five says, "Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness." Thirty-six. If then your whole body is full of light, having no heart dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So Jesus in this 35, is charging us to not become like the men in His day who He's speaking to, who will be judged for not receiving the light which has come. He says, "Be careful, putting the onus on us, squarely, on us. Well how can this light become darkness? This is the troubling verse, I think. This is the troubling verse where he says, be careful. It's up to you now. Be careful so that this light doesn't become darkness. Well, can we take his word for granted? Can we be so familiar with a passage that we think that passage applies to others but not us? Can we be so familiar with a passage that we miss the real application of the text? Can we hear... Can we read and study a passage without it leading us to confession and repentance? Can we be so familiar with a passage that we don't take time to contemplate the words or what they mean for our life? So in all of these questions, my answer was yes. And I think if you're honest, your answer is yes as well. But I think this is the, this is the warning that we're okay. we're not supposed to do that. It's not good that my answer is yes. But we do take it for granted. How how many of you have more than one Bible in your home? Yeah. It's like, okay, there are stacks of them. How many do you use? Like, how many do you use at one time? Do you use the one? Do you use the one all the time? Have you ever seen the videos of those, like, peoples in desolate places in faraway countries who receive the shipment of the finished work of the translation of the Bible so that they finally receive the word of the Lord in their own language. It's the, the translators have been working on it for 20 or 30 years, and the, the the helicopter or plane or whatever comes with its crates, and they're breaking open the crates, and they pass these things around, and everybody is holding their Bibles, jumping up and down. They're truly elated because now they have the word of God in their own language that they can read. I'm convicted each time I see one of those videos. These people are overjoyed that they have a Bible or a New Testament. Because a lot of times that's how it gets done. As translation happens, they might get the New Testament done. So they get, get that bound and they give it to the people. They don't even have the whole Bible. But they're excited. They are overwhelmed by God's goodness that they can actually receive his word. Where, where is that for us? As we live in our land of plenty, I think, we're, I think this is an issue with us in many areas. But I think because Jesus says, therefore be careful putting this on us, lest the light in you be darkness, I think that I'm feeling the weight of this. I want you to feel the weight of this. I wish it were a happier message, but it's a weighty message. But that's what the Word is. And you know, if, if we didn't just go through the Bible, if we, just, if we just didn't turn the page and go through the Bible, I'd only tell you things that made you happy. I'd only, I'd only be focusing on things that make me happy. But this one has made me think, how do we take advantage of... Or how do we take God's word um, for granted? Where do we not cherish it as if it's like a real treasure? The Queen of Sheba would been would be totally jealous of our access to God's wisdom and His word. Comparatively speaking, we are spiritually privileged above all peoples. Are you, are you are you aware of that? And even so, our gospel did not come to us from an uh, obstinate prophet who got spewed up by a fish. No, our gospel came to us from God himself who became man and burst open the grave and overcame sin, death, and Hades in one action. He offers to give those who believe resurrection life, that life to the full that John 10.10 10 talks about. So, Christian, be careful, lest the light you have received becomes darkness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.